Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Thanks so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. Letting me be a part of your day. The email is Pete at the Pete com and on Twitter at Pete Calliner. Um So something really weird happened the other day. Uh, my wife, Christy, got a phone call from what sounded like uh, an elderly woman. I'm not trying to misgender anybody. I'm just, that, that's what, it was just described to me. And so this, this woman said that she had received a phone call from Christie's phone number, which is weird because Christie didn't make the phone call, nor did she know the person that was on the other end of the, the call. And this woman said that she had received a call from somebody claiming to be her grandson who was in trouble or something. And um, Christy said, no, it wasn't me. This is my number. And so maybe it was like a spoof, you know, where like the scammers can take your, they'll, they'll make phone calls, but it looks like when it comes to your phone, it looks like a different phone number than the number they're actually dying. I don't know how the technology works, but they will use different phone numbers so as to try to get you to answer the call. So that happened a couple of days ago, and we were kind of at a loss to figure out what was going on with it. And then, just by uh, coincidence, I come across a story today while doing the show prep this morning. And I just figured I would relay this information for folks who may have gotten a call like this, or if you do get a call like this, this is apparently part of a new kind of a scam And it's using artificial intelligence. Not for the phone call or not for the spoofing of the number. That's been around a while. But for the voice. The voice on the call. It may actually sound like your loved one. Because they can take audio now with this AI, uh, with these programs. They can take just a couple of words. I mean, I'm screwed. So you can't believe, I mean, am I even really doing this show right now? Who knows, right? You could take anybody's voice that you've got recordings of, and you can make them say anything you want. The AI will strip out the different sounds and pronunciations and inflection and all that, and it will it will basically construct whatever you want that person to say. Like to me, and I heard about this technology. There's a video side of this as well. You heard about deep fakes also. To me, like this is super dangerous. And I believe a very limited, useful application. I I don't know why you would need to be able to have someone's voice. Okay, maybe like you wanna you wanna redo some Paul Harvey things or something, or or an actor dies during the shooting of a movie, you know? And so you want to finish out the movie somehow. They did some of this. What was the movie? Hoffa, I think, right? With uh, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. And these guys are in their, you know, 70s, but they made them look younger with some new AI kind of uh, technology. And it's, to me, 
very limited, useful application, legitimate application, and the downside is tremendous. For example, how would you know if the leader of the free world or something, well, yeah, okay, or Joe Biden were to, I kid, I kid Joe Biden. Um, what, what would, what, what would be the, the impact if there's some, you know, quote, leaked video or audio of this person saying something and they come out and they say, I didn't say that. Joe Biden's like, I didn't declare war on China. I didn't say that. And everybody was like, oh, come on, Joe. You don't know what you're saying all the time. That's, I kid, I kid. But seriously, how would, how would people know what is real and what is not? And the deep fake video stuff is even worse. You could take the imagery of anybody who's, you know, been on camera, even still photography. I mean, like some of the, they're pitching this new, I think it's the Google Pixel, where you can edit people out of photographs. So, like, this is great for everybody that breaks up. And we all we all had the friends who would date again and then break up and date again and break up. And they just kept going, you know, like getting back together repeatedly. And, yeah, so this would be, a, I guess, a helpful tool for them to, like, very much like Stalin did, you know, erase somebody out of the photograph when it's inconvenient. But this has, to me, this has significant ramifications. Anyway, so here's how the scam goes. Um, this is from a woman named Irene Kenyon. She writes on Substack. She's a, I forget, she's like a, like a, she's into uh, oversight regulation, stuff like that. And uh, apparently pretty up to speed on the scams. And uh, she says a few years ago, her elderly parents got a call from an unknown number. So this has been around for a while. She said, my mom picked up. The other person said, grandma, do you know who this is? Now, my parents are Russian and they are getting a bit hard of hearing in their advanced age. So my mother immediately identified the caller as her as uh, the author's son, Irene's son or her, her grandson. And she said, oh, whatever his name is, we'll call him Joseph. Is that you? And as soon as she said his name, now the scammer knows a couple of things. Number one, the person on the other end of the line is old enough to have grandkids, that the grandkid is male, the grandkid's name, the grandchild's uh, either an adult or close enough to adult age since the caller was an adult male who made the call. The caller then proceeded to tell my mother that he was in jail and he needed bail money. The claim was not true, but the scammer counted on several things. Grandparents are emotional when it comes to their grandchildren, and they will not examine the claim too closely. Hearing uh, the accents, uh, they, her parents were refugees from the former Soviet Union. Um, they could assume that her parents didn't know the U.S. legal system very well and that they would act based on their emotions instead of stopping and thinking about whether their grandson would indeed land himself in jail and then call them for bail money. And the scammers were right. Her dad got his car keys, headed to the nearest Target store, as instructed by the scammer. Once there, he bought $6,000 in gift cards, called the scammer back, and read the numbers over the phone. When her mom told her what happened, uh, she said it was by the time she got to her dad, it was too late. Okay, so first off, just bail money is never payable with Target cards. I didn't think I needed to say that, but let's just say that, okay? Make sure everyone knows you cannot pay bail with gift cards. Okay, number one. Uh, number two, uh, that's not something that happens over the telephone, right? But the scammers play on your emotions. They scare you into ignoring critical thinking and reason, uh, reasoning skills. Her parents are both engineers by trade. 
but even they were taken in by fear for their grandchildren. So word of advice, I do this all the time. Don't open any links in emails. Look at the email addresses when they come to you. Block unknown phone calls. Don't even answer them. Google does have a helpful thing. It's a uh, it's a assistant where you can like screen all the calls, and it, you'll get a you'll get a, a a printed. It'll go like a voice to text, and it'll show you what people are saying. And so that weeds out a lot of it. Um, block every time somebody asks for money via email. Block them. Somebody on an email asks you for money. Block them. Somebody calls you, asks you for money, block them. Hang up. Block them. Don't take the calls. I don't know. I don't know who who's getting taken. But look, Christy and I, we were looking a couple years ago to fix an HP um, printer or something, and clicked on the wrong link because it looked like a it looked like HP turned out to be a scam, and they. They tried to get us to buy like $500 for like router firewall protection or something. And when I realized what was happening, I was like, boom, pull the plug. Cause they had, she had given them access to the computer and I was sitting right there. And so like, you could see them and they like go in and they're like, Oh, this is what you need to do. It's like, bam, pull, pull the plug. You're out. S- shut down the computer, pull the ru- uh, router plug. And then I tracked them down and got them basically to admit that they were scams. I sent it over to better business bureau and state department, but they did nothing. So of course not. Anyway, block the emails. Do not pay bail with Target cards or any other gift card. I got a tweet here from my good friend Ray Cooper. It's a Pete tweet. Pete, so all of these left-wing bail reform advocates who want to eliminate bail and let everyone out as soon as they are arrested are really just trying to outwit these scammers and protect us from them. No, really, it, it it makes sense. Can't have a bail scam if bail doesn't exist. We are through the looking glass here, people. Jonathan says, Pete, there's actually an app for it that will have a fake phone number come up when you call someone. Scam reviews it constantly. I get North Carolina numbers with uh, Indians talking to me all the time. (laughs) Uh, I think they're indigenous people. No, I'm kidding. They're from India. Um, so this piece says, worse yet, now you got scammers who are using AI, artificial intelligence, to fool vulnerable people into believing that they're talking to people they know, their grandchildren. See, all of this now, like, for me, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to my old form of communication. I'm going to go back to unsigned letters uh, with no return addresses on them, and uh, I would just cut out uh, individual letters from magazines and then just, like, you know, just arrange them all into a big letter and then send that to people. That's how I'm, that's what I'm going back to. Advancements in artificial intelligence have added a terrifying new layer, allowing bad actors to replicate a voice with just an audio sample of a few sentences powered by AI. A slew of cheap online tools can translate an audio file into a replica of a voice, allowing a swindler to make it quote, speak whatever they type. Just a reminder, regulators, you know, bureaucrats, whatever, IRS, Office of Foreign Assets Control, that's apparently a big one, OFAC, they will never call you. They will never call you. They just show up and take you out. No, I'm kidding. They, no, they, they'll never call, and they will never demand payment over the phone like that. Criminals typically steal personal checks, business checks, tax refund checks, 
and checks related to government assistance programs like Social Security payments and unemployment benefits. Following the initial theft and fraudulent negotiation of the stolen checks, criminals may continue to exploit their victims by using the personal identifiable information found in the stolen mail for future fraud schemes, such as credit card fraud or credit account fraud. So people need to monitor their bank accounts. Make sure that your withdrawals and payments are genuine and authorized. There's another thing called mailbox phishing, which is basically just theft from the mailboxes, whether it's the blue ones or your personal one at your house. Um, if they find checks, they can alter them and cash them. because So they get the checks, and then they wash them with nail polish remover, and then they fill in new amounts and themselves as the payee. In fact, uh, gel pens, which are fantastic pens, by the way, but the gel pens, I'm, I'm not a paid endorser of gel pens, but they are being marketed as fraud mitigation devices because checks written in indelible ink cannot be washed. Do you know that? If you're going to drop your check into one of the blue mailboxes, I mean, the ones that are left after Donald Trump stole them all before the election, right? Um, you got to do it in the morning. Drop your drop your mail into the mailbox in the morning because the, uh, try to do it before the first mail pickup um, because a lot of the thefts take place at night. And if you can, find one on a busy street. Make an effort to pay your bills online or sign up for automatic payments. Um, if you're going to use personal checks to pay your bills, she recommends you actually go to the post office, knowing that it requires extra effort, but bringing mail that contains personal checks directly to the post office rather than putting it in one of the blue boxes will help mitigate the risk of your check being fished out and altered. We are now approaching tax season. Yay. IRS tax scams circulating on social media, encouraging people to use tax software to manually fill out the, uh, the form W-2. Don't do it, okay? Um, ATM skimmers, phishing attempts, mail fraud, computer repair scams, vehicle odometer fraud. We're seeing glue and tap scams at ATMs. Have you heard of this one? They will put glue into the card reader, which then forces you to tap the card Right to wave it over that little circle thing, right? So it, it registers there instead of inserting the card into the machine. So they basically seal that off. You then tap it. Unfortunately, when you tap your card at the ATM, the account remains open for more transactions unless you proactively log out. So if you're the one that's like, oh, the scan thing, I'll do the scan. Make sure you log out before you drive away. Um. There's a money mule scam where you're asked to transfer money through your account. There's an employment scheme that bilks people out of money, promises, uh, promising a high-level job after you pay for some sort of certification. If your gut tells you there's something wrong, it pr there probably is, okay? There probably is something wrong. Um, oh, speaking of fraud, I got an update. Wanda Green gave an interview. Do you know who she is? Yeah, she's like the state's biggest embezzler that you probably have never heard of. And this was recent, too. 
All right, are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim? He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear... Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Wanda Green. Wanda Green seemed to have it all, says John Boyle at the Asheville Watchdog website. She'd overcome humble beginnings, built an impressive career, and risen to the apex of power in Buncombe County. She was the county manager there. She was the county manager there for a very long time, and she went down... While I was working up there, not that I had anything to do with it, although I did have quite a bit of fun reading through all of the things that she bought with all of the county taxpayer funds, furnishings for her home, all sorts of like, you know, like, uh, uh, language programs and stuff. Her son, uh, you know, son wanted like a PC, starting up like a YouTube channel. So she bought a whole bunch of stuff for that. She was county manager for two decades. I was always surprised at how little coverage statewide this story got. And then I remembered Big D Shield. She has the D Shield. She's a Democrat run in, a, in a county run by Democrats. And so, yeah, he stole millions and millions of dollars over years and years, took crazy trips, and that's all right. She's already out of jail, by the way. She's already out of prison. She oversaw a multi-million dollar budget, steered decisions affecting tens of thousands of residents. New public buildings sprung up. The county secured the gold standard AAA bond rating. They passed all of their audits. They, they did get a new audit firm after this. She got big raises. She was pulling down a quarter million a year. And uh, which I think that's like uh, what Charlotte City Council's angling for. I think that's that's roughly what they, I mean, to be professional, you know, for a full time councilman position. Um. She retired, and she was about to start collecting fifteen grand a month in pension payouts, and then it all came crashing down. She left in handcuffs. The disgraced central figure in the biggest public corruption scandal in Buncombe's history. And I would submit North Carolina. I'm not aware of a bigger embezzlement scandal just in the, just in the amount of money than what Wanda Green and others who have also gone down that they were that they were doing. She left in handcuffs. She had um, she would plead guilty, spend two years in federal prison for embezzling public money, accepting bribes and kickbacks, and filing a false federal tax return. Before it all ended, five other people got indicted and convicted. Former assistant county managers Mandy Stone and John Creighton, Wanda Green's son Michael, who worked for the county as well, conveniently enough. And then there was a a contractor, Joe Weissman, he went down, and a county commissioner, Ellen Frost. But the ringleader was Wanda Green. She is now 71 years old. As I said, she just did two years in federal prison, already out. And she blames a culture of corruption that was there when she arrived. It wasn't her fault. (laughs) It was was the culture of corruption. The system failed, right? Our, uh, my colleague, Brett Winterbull, he always talks about how this is the excuse that whenever people do bad stuff, they always say, oh, the system failed. No, the system did not fail. You failed. You embezzled. 
Bill Stanley was a former educator, restaurateur, longtime Democratic County Commissioner known for his, quote, big personality. He was a county commissioner. And, uh, and Bill, according to Wanda Green, who gave an interview to John Boyle, Bill Stanley and other commissioners went right along with anything he wanted to do anywhere we were. He had every expectation that somebody would pick up the check for him. So it was a culture that was created long before I ever arrived in Buncombe County. And rather than try to fix it, try to, you know, adhere to ethical standards. Nah. Stanley died in September 2020. He was 91. He served on the County Board of Commissioners for 24 years. They finally took his name off of the county building because of the of the scandal. It was on the county building. <laughs> I guess that's a culture of corruption, right? He would accept things of value from corrupt county engineering contractor Joe Wiseman. Wanda Green acknowledged that her misdeeds eclipsed those of Stanley. She said, quote, so I got careless. I just got really careless. No, no, no. The word is not careless, Wanda. It's greedy. And sociopathic. She says, I would, I would say it really started after the 2012 election. That's when the board expanded to seven members from five. And she said, when that happened, we quit caring about the people we served. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's this we? Who is this we you're talking about? The board grows. It adds a couple of Republicans. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my gosh. Who cares about the public? Oh, so it. So the Republicans forced you. That's what happened. The Republicans made you do it. Oh, I should have seen it coming. She says, I was not the leader of that, nor was I the one being dragged along. I was in the middle of it. See, so she minimizes her own role in it. The chairman of the county commission, a guy by the name of Brownie Newman, who was elected in 2012, strongly disputes that notion, noting that other commissioners on the board, including Republicans Joe Belcher and Mike Fryer, now deceased, cared deeply about the county. The board had a Democratic majority, but also had Republicans at that point. It doesn't anymore, by the way. Um, he did acknowledge that clearly the county didn't, did have a culture of graft, which, by the way, Mike Fryer was always leading the charge on. That's what got him elected. He was rooting out these expenditures. He would go down to the county commission meetings as a private citizen and speak at the public comment period and demand accountability and transparency from the county commissioners and he got stiff armed so many times by the commissioners and Wanda Green that he ran for office and won and then Wanda Green tried to give herself overtime pay because she said she has to stick around and answer all these questions Mike Fryer is costing her a lot of time in answering questions and so she deserves uh, uh, to be paid overtime like Wanda you're on salary you don't get overtime and then after, like, there was a big kerfuffle about it, she's like, oh, okay, all right, fine. And she gave it back. I knew right then, I was like, this woman is corrupt. If you are going to, you're going to charge overtime to answer questions that a county commissioner has, like, you, he provides oversight of you. Newman said commissioners and the county found clear evidence that Bill Stanley had personally benefited from some of the things he should not have as a county commissioner. They were relatively small in nature, but it should not have happened. Commissioners agreed to remove Stanley's name from the building. His family did not fight that move. He was ill and living in a nursing home at the time of the change. But to be clear, it was Wanda Green who ran up the enormous bills on county purchase cards, buying 
household items and decorations using Target cards to pay bail. No, I'm kidding about that part. She said we were spread around. uh, uh, She said these things were all spread around county offices. She and other officials would take luxurious trips on the county dime. They went to Key West. They went to Napa Valley, California. And she admitted to John Boyle in this article that she's a she's a shopaholic and a bargain hunter. Well, so at least we got the best deals while getting ripped off, right? She said shopping was a kind of therapy for her, and she did some of her best thinking while in store. Oh, oh, okay. This woman's a sociopath. All right, so that's the reason why. Like you were, it was your therapy, stealing taxpayer money to go shopping at the home store or Target uh, or Walmart to buy throw pillows for your colleagues around the office. Uh, this was just this, this was just idea generation. This was your blue sky moment. You just came up with all these different crazy ideas for how best to manage the county while you were pilfering its coffers. She loaded up the county purchase cards with. Hand soaps, candles, tables, and chairs, even a tic-tac-toe wall hanging that became symbolic of her frivolous spending. Most of it went around the county, she said. I mean, it'd be in this office or that office in the courthouse. I'm not saying I didn't have uh, to have some of it, but like that tic-tac-toe board, that sat on my desk until somebody wanted it, and I gave it to them. See, like me, she's a giver. See that? She's a giver. I mean, yes, she's a taker first. She stole all the money, and she bought some stuff that she liked. But when somebody came along, like, hey, I really like that. She's like, yeah, take it. And then, of course, what does that mean? It's like now she's giving them giving them gifts. She's essentially buying their loyalty. Now you're part of the scheme. She said she has wondered if her poor childhood drove her obsessive shopping. She grew up poor. She said the trips that she took, most of them were not legitimate, except for the ones down to Tryon, where the big horse thing is, you know, the big equestrian event, and they built that whole horse center there. Yeah, she took a bunch of trips down there with the county commissioner, Ellen Frost, who also uh, got convicted for this, because Ellen Frost had horses. She's a big horse person. She loved horses, and they, at one point, took a trip up to New York State, ostensibly to check into some sort of, like, horse quarantine system, that New York State uses before the, I think it's the, was it the, the Belmont Stakes up there, right? And uh, so they wanted to go and check it out because in case we wanted to have something like this at our airport. Yeah, they never did check it out. They went and visited Ellen Frost's old horse. When her horse got too old for her to care for, they shipped it up there. And it was out on some farm up there. And so they went to visit old Sparky or whatever its name was. No, that's the name of the electric chair, which none of them got. I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not sure how many people outside of Western North Carolina ever really heard this story about what happened uh, over the last uh, eight years or about eight years. Uh, It all came to a head probably about five years ago. But Wanda Green was the county manager, and she and two of her assistant county managers, a county commissioner, a deceased county commissioner, and a building contractor who got deals with the county, um, they went down for an embezzlement ring. They, they soak taxpayers out of millions of dollars. Um, she does acknowledge that, uh, yeah, some of the trips that they took were extravagant. She says seven of them were, but only seven. Only seven. And she says, yes, I could have paid to go to Napa on my own. I could have paid to go to Florida. She says, I don't for a minute deny that I should not have done all of those. But there wasn't ever a day that I was just off where you couldn't get me on the phone no matter where I was. And the department heads knew it. Oh, so she was like the president. 
who also makes roughly about 250000 a year. See, so oh, I just had to work all the time. That's what I mean. This woman's a sociopath. Now, I, I give John Boyle credit because he asks her, are you a sociopath? <laughs> well, I, I think he may say, some people say. And then that gets turned into, you know, subheadline: is she a sociopath? <laughs> because these explanations that she is offering, it's all, it's all deflective, right? The, these things like, oh, you know, I admit I did it, but, you know, I was always working. Yeah, so am I, Wanda. I'm always working, too, and I'm not stealing taxpayer money. To be honest with you, she says, sometimes I wished I was home. That's what the little voice in my head said. I wish I was home. And it's more of a, this is not fun and I should have known better. Yeah, that little voice is called a conscience. The fact that she can't even call it that (laughs) means that she doesn't really connect with it. You're sitting in the hot tub in Napa, sipping all the wine with your colleagues there. And that's true. And, And she's like, I'm not even having fun here. I wish I was home. She has repaid. The county government, like $750,000, and uh, she has settled with the IRS as well, a total of about $1.5 million. Some have suggested that Green, who can be charming and self-deprecating, may be a sociopath. See that? Some suggested that that is defined as somebody lacking a conscience while being skillful at lying, among other traits. She says, quote, it's fine to ask that question. I don't think I am. And I don't think the psychologist in the federal prison system thought I was either. I do have a conscience. I just think sometimes things get away from you. <laughs> now, whoops. Oh, there it goes. I just, right through my fingers. Now I'm stealing millions of dollars. Throughout the interview, Green acknowledged her wrongdoings, say, saying, quote, it doesn't make it right. And, you know, I think there's, uh, I don't know, yet uh, the reason that this unfolded for me the way it did uh, I do think there's a greater reason than I know yet. See, again, this is just like, oh, I'm sorry this has happened to you, Wanda. <laughs> this, this whole vibe, this entire interview. Chelsea Bins, a professor in the Department of Security, Fire, and Emergency Management at John Jay College Criminal Justice in New York City, also a security investigation expert, holds a Ph.D. in criminal justice, author of several books on fraud and all right, whatever. She says... This seems to fit in well with the fraud triangle theory of occupational fraud. Three legs of the triangle. Pressure, opportunity, and rationalization. Right? The culture of corruption means she spotted the opportunity. The pressure part, where she says, you know, she had this demanding, stressful job, required a lot of hours. And this sense of wanting to have some extras in life and not just for herself. It seems she was quite generous with her ill-gotten gains. Perhaps she felt pressure to continue giving perks to staffers. She's making a decent salary. She wanted the perks, all the extras. She wanted to be the powerful person hooking up her friend. As for rationalizing her behavior, she suspects Green was not motivated by greed, as often is the case, but more by the sense that other people in the county had indulged in freebies, so she was entitled to some too. She fits the profile of a fraudster in other ways. People over 60 are responsible for the greatest Losses in frauds. And for occupational fraudsters, it's often their first foray into crime. Isn't that interesting? She feels justified enough in that choice. She doesn't feel apologies are needed. She really felt she was owed what she took. Biggest embezzler in state history. Probably never even heard of her. (laughs) 